0: Man, I think we, we should have had a meter. I think this side was winning. Yeah, I think they were. Sorry about that. I'm Pastor Adam. Glad to be here this morning to worship with you. And uh, we've gathered in this place to hear from God's word, to sing praises unto him, to pray unto him. May every aspect of this service give him glory and praise. I just want to uh, remind you of a few things this morning. The very first thing is in your bulletin. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a couple post-it notes. And everybody goes, what's, what's with the post-it notes? Well, this week, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. or 6 a.m. <laughs> i got to remember, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., The sanctuary is going to be open for those two hours. It's a come-and-go time of prayer. Um, You've been filling out these prayer cards, which is really great. There's still more up here. These will be all over the platform. And you can come in at any time during those two hours. Maybe you pick up five or six of these prayer cards. You go back to your seat, and you spend some time in prayer. Maybe you see somebody else here that you know and say, hey, Let's take some time and pray together. Let's pray together this morning. Well, another thing that you can do, and that's we're back to the post-it notes. The post-it notes, when we're done with the service today, if you would like to, if you would like to, there's usually a pen in the back of the seat, you can write your first name on that post-it note and then put it on the seat, on your seat. Because those coming in throughout the week, they'll see a name on a seat. They'll see Sam's name on the seat right here. And maybe they'll sit there for a while and just pray for Sam. And maybe you don't even know who the person is, but you have their name, but you just sit down in that seat for a little while, and you pray for that person that's there. That's what the Post-it notes are for. So after the service, just jot your name down and set it on your seat there. So that is happening. We, I also, uh, the, the main things this week are there's a Good Friday service on Friday at 6.30 p.m., we're going through the seven uh, phrases of Christ on the cross. That's the theme of that service. And then Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we have a service, a sunrise service at 7 o'clock. Then we have a breakfast at 745. If you have not signed up for that and are planning on coming, please sign up at the Welcome Center. And then we have a regular service during our regular time here at 930. During that time, you're going to get a gift next Sunday. Everybody's going to get one of these books called The Case for Easter A Journalist Investigates Evidence for the Resurrection uh, by Lee Strobel. Um, this is kind of a condensed version of his larger book, uh, but everyone will get one of these. And first off, if you haven't read it, we read it first. But then after you've read it, maybe you think of somebody that you can hand this off to, okay? And you, and you give it to them. So it's a really easy, easy read. But that's also happening next Sunday. And one last announcement is the women are having a brunch on Saturday, April 22nd at 9.30 a.m. That's a Saturday. And there's also a sign up at the Welcome Center for that. So any ladies that are planning on coming, please sign up for that. So we are doing things just a little bit differently in the order this morning. So I am going to ask the ushers to come forward at this time so that we can take up our morning offering. And we are also going to pray for Dennis and Vanilla and their ministry, and especially because they're there right now. And Amy and Amy are also right there. I'm going to pray for them. And we're also going to pray. There's some people that lost some loved ones this week uh, in our church. And so let's remember people who are grieving at this time. And also, Lord, that we would pray also for our services this week. Special times of prayer throughout the week, but also special services that we have to get our focus on the cross and him rising from the grave. So let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. It is great to be in your house. And we do thank you for this week that, um, that we do get to focus a little bit more about about your journey to Jerusalem, your, 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 your conversations during that last week, the trial, the cross, the grave, and of course next Sunday, the rising. And so Lord, I, I pray that as we, as we uh, some of us gather throughout the week in the early morning hours, that we would set, have some precious times of prayer over these requests and with one another I pray for our Good Friday service that it would uh, uh, set our our minds on on what you have done. And then, Lord, for a glorious Sunday to gather together and say he is risen, he is risen indeed. We want to pray for our missionaries, all of them, but Dennis and Venia this morning, especially as they are serving in Africa, and for Amy and Amy who are also over there at this time, Lord, your hand upon them. And this morning also, Lord, we pray for those in our, in, our, in our congregation. There's always, this is always happening. There's people going through uh, grieving or there's people going through um, really rough times in their life right now. And we just pray for your comfort upon them. And we pray for our opportunity, Lord, if we know them to be able to come up alongside of them and give them a call and a word of encouragement, Lord. So your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit prompt us, Lord, to, to act out in love. And Lord, we finish this with, we are so thankful to be able to give. We are so thankful that we have the opportunity to, to take the provisions that you have already provided to us and turn it back around and say, Lord, we want the gospel going out from here and from abroad. And so Lord, may we give with cheerful hearts this morning in thy precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, ushers. (laughs) Sam was down here going, "Uh." Well, we want to turn our hearts toward um, communion this morning. If you didn't get your elements in and you would like them, I'm sure there are some ushers back there that if you just raise up your hand, um, they'll bring some to you. If you didn't and you want to take communion this morning, this is for those who are Christians who call Jesus their Savior and Lord. And um, it's a time to remember. But I always find that um, when you take communion nearer, nearer to Holy Week, there's there's always a, a little more that we maybe internally in our heads think about uh, as we do it. And as we take out the piece of bread and we, we think of his body being broken on the cross, maybe it's a little more visual to us because we've been thinking about it. About that, he this is the reason he came. And then, when you look at the cup and the and the juice that represents the blood, and maybe you think a little bit more about him being whipped and scourged uh, upon that upon that pole, and then and then him hanging on the cross, and the blood that would have been there, and then maybe even finally that spear uh, going into his side, and blood and water pouring out. And so maybe those things are a little bit more visual this morning as you think about it. But I did want to tell you a st- one little story. Um, I've, I've given communion. I've, I've conducted communion so many times, but one that will never leave me, or at least it hasn't yet, is uh, it was a Sunday we were doing communion, and and the elements were on the table up here front, and people were coming up front uh, to get their elements. And, and it wasn't like we have them where they're all together like this, but you take the bread and the cup. And so the cups were open with juice. And as I was watching people come forward, um, the table got bumped. The table got bumped. And so there was a little bit of the juice that spilled out onto the linen uh, tablecloth that was on there, and it spilled out. And I noticed that. And just a, the person behind the person who bumped it, because that person was going, you know, that kind of thing, but the person behind it, if we, I, I know we thought the same thing at the same time when we looked back down and we saw the spilt juice, we saw the spilt blood. Boy, it just hit both of us at the same time that he, that he shed his blood for us. So this morning I pray that that we all, in our own way, have kind of those moments when we do take the bread and the cup and 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 personalize it in the sense that he went there. He came here and he went there and he went there and he rose from there and he ascended there and he's coming back here. He did that for you and me. He's your Savior and Lord. So this morning, would you with me take the bread Bread represents his body, which was broken for you. Take and eat it. Do this in remembrance of him. And then the cup represents the blood that was shed. It also represents the new covenant. We have a new covenant now. And that's Jesus ushered in the new covenant. And it's his blood that was shed so that that covenant is validated. And so we are thankful for this covenant, including the remission of our sins. So we drink this being very thankful, grateful for the forgiveness of our sins. Take and drink. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to partake in communion again, especially this time of the year, Um, even again on Friday, on Good Friday, Lord, when we partake again, um, that we would, again, fresh in a new what you did for each and every one of us who who call upon you as our lord and savior and so lord as we as we conclude this time with a song um, may this be our praise unto you in my precious name amen Amen. would you rise with us as we sing? one more thing just before the sermon i want to introduce somebody to you uh this is a new new guy that's coming to the church name scott Aberderis. Uh, It looks like he's been somewhere for a while, but he has a short
1: announcement that he wants to give us one. Thanks, Adam. It's good to be back. Um, A little bit cooler than I thought it was going to be, but I'm grateful to be back. So um, it's an honor for me to bring up Tom and Mary DeMire. You guys would come up because Tommy just finished his term as an elder um, yesterday. And um, we want to take a minute to just honor them. So, and Paul talks about this in Timothy. In First Timothy, he says, "Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task." Tom took that on four years ago. And um, secondly, in the, in the Word, in First Timothy, also says, "The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor." So. As a church, we need to give them thanks. And and for the service, the time, the prayer, the wisdom, it's been an honor. So, for Tom and Mary, we thank you. You got your flowers. Tommy, you get this stuff here. Take your bride on a little date night some night, huh? (laughs) All right. I want to thank you all for giving me the opportunity. Uh, Years ago, the Spirit called me to lead in this church. And he gives you tremendous abilities. It's not mine. It's not these guys. It's the Spirit working through us to serve God's church. And there isn't a person in this congregation that cannot be touched in the same way. There's a huge amount of talent here. Pray that the Spirit would allow you to bloom like the flowers of spring. Thank you again.
0: Okay, just a couple things that I missed. Uh, One of them is that next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, um, after the morning worship service, there is no come for more classes, no Sunday school at the 11 o'clock hour, just so it reminds you of that. And then the other thing that I didn't say was we still have some more of these invite tags, um, where you can connect this to something and, and hand it to your, um, your neighbor, your coworker, your friends, and invite them to, to church next Sunday. And it has the services on the back. I right. We, we connected a couple of these to the who have been to the Hillside Bakery and gotten some of their donuts? Anybody? Ooh. Ooh, yeah, yeah. So we hooked, we hooked some on there and gave them to our neighbors uh, that were happening there. Okay, so this Sunday is going to be a little different, on your, and you'll see that in your bulletin, that uh, there's just a space to write some sermon notes down. It's just me and my Bible this morning. Um, as we go through this passage of Scripture that we typically go through, but what i want to do this morning is i want to i want to not just focus on when jesus comes into jerusalem on the foal of the donkey i i want us to go back a little bit you know and in real estate everything location 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 well when you're studying the bible it's context 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 and so we go we'll go backwards a little bit to get a running start at him coming into jerusalem but then also we'll extend it on the other end to see some of the response that happened from him coming into Jerusalem on the pole of a donkey. So we're, we're going to actually start in John chapter 11, starting at verse 45. Jesus is in Bethany, this little tiny town that's two miles outside of Jerusalem. He's there because, at, the, at the call of Mary and Martha because their, son, their brother Lazarus is very sick and ill. He does not get there, though, until after Lazarus has died. And Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. There's a little interchange that goes on between Mary and Martha and Jesus. But then finally Jesus gets to the site of the tomb and he says, roll the stone away. And and, and the ladies and everybody else go, whoa, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't want to do that. He's been in the tomb for four days. It would be pretty bad, bad scene kind of thing. He said, roll it away. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man walked out of the grave. And he said, "Loose the wraps from him and let him go, and let him go." Now it's a small town. Uh, most likely, a lot of people witnessed this, and you'll see this in this passage of scripture. A lot of people witnessed that event. That that when he said that he would rise from the grave. So we start at verse 45. Here's the ending of that. It says, "Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, meaning Jesus, what Jesus had done." And here's one of our phrases that it will come back to over and over again. Believed in him. They believed in him. Here's another word that we're going to look for, verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them things which Jesus, the things that Jesus had done. Verse 47, therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the Sanhedrin together. That's the 70 uh, religious rulers, the ruling council together. And we're saying, what are we doing? For this man is doing many signs. Meaning he is doing miracles that only God can do. He is doing these signs that point that he is the Messiah. What are we going to do with this one who is doing this? Verse 48, if we let him go on like this, all will, here's our phrase, believe in him. Believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Right there you see the motive of these religious leaders. It was not about the coming of a Messiah, but it was really just keeping status quo. It was really just being in good gracious with the government that they had at that time. And if Jesus and his followers gained momentum, then they might get knocked off and not have their privileged position in this world that they were living in. That's their motivation. Verse 49, but, there's our word again, one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. And here's where, listen to his words. He would be considered an enemy of Christ. I mean, an enemy of Jesus. He says, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is better for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. At that moment in time, someone who would be considered the enemy of Jesus tells you exactly what's going to happen. There's gonna be one man who will die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. A little bit of commentary here, verse 51. Now, he did not say this of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but, there's our but, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That's why Jesus came. He came so he could gather together into one the children of God. I would call that the true church. That's why he came, to gather his flock, his his sheep. I. It's interesting, I... I I equate this to when Jesus said to his disciples earlier, who do people say that I am? And then he turns and he says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And then Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says back to him, yeah, that didn't come from you. You got that from above. You, it's almost like that, that these, these words that are coming out of Caiaphas, the high priest's mouth, of what Jesus was actually going to do was coming from above. Verse 53, so that day they, um, they planned to kill him. Now I want to pause there. It didn't say rough him up. It doesn't say um, threaten him. It doesn't say let's put him in prison for a couple years. Let's just you know put the fear of God into him. No, it says kill him. Their solution to this situation was to kill the one who was speaking the words of God. I, I got to pause here and stop and say, after what happened in our country just this last week, and this happens all over the world, that there are Christians who are killed because they hold on to the word of God. It happens. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 18. John 15, 18, it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you hold on to the words of God, if church holds on to the words of God, um, it's, it's, it's hard being a Christian. I told that last week. I said, it's hard being a Christian because not only do you hold on to the truth, but you hold on to all of the truth that we have. You hold on to all of it. You hold on to how we even respond in a situation like this. I am very thankful that there was a day planned this last weekend that didn't happen. It was a vengeance day. That would be just so um we couldn't do that. you couldn't say we're going to have a Christian vengeance day. why not? saith the Lord, vengeance yeah, see, we hold on to all the truths of the Bible, so even the truths of the Bible that help us to know how to respond in situations that are there, they can kill the body, but they can't kill the Soul. Boy, I don't. I don't know if you grieve this week, but I grieve this week. When, when those children, and those three adults in that school were killed, and it was in a church that a school was there, and they were killed. And I know we don't have all the information yet. But just going into a church that uh, knowing that denomination and everything, it's a conservative denomination, a, a denomination that holds to the word of God. You gotta kind of put two and two together. They gathered together to kill him. Verse 54, therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk among them uh, openly among the Jews, but went away from there and the region near the wilderness into the city called Ephraim. So he moved about 12 miles away now from Jerusalem. And there he stayed with his disciples. Now, the Passover of the Jews was near and many went up to Jerusalem from the region before the Passover to purify themselves. So the Passover is that celebration where they would gather each year and they would remember that God had delivered their forefathers um, from the slavery in Egypt, from the dominion of the Pharaoh, and he would send Moses, and Moses would say to the Pharaoh, "Let my people go," and there would be those plagues and and everything else, and God delivered them from that slavery uh, took them uh, they walked across the Red Sea as if on dry ground, he got manna from heaven, water from the rock, brought them all the way across so th- this is what they 're celebrating at this time verse fifty six so they were seeking Jesus and they were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Will he, meaning Jesus, will that he will not come to the feast at all? Is that even possible that he would he Jesus would not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that he might they might seize him. So it's kind of like they have wanted posters out for Jesus. You know, they had a bounty on him. You know, he's in the post office, on the wall, wanted dead or alive. And and look what Jesus does next. Verse chapter 12. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany. He came back, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. And if you go to Matthew chapter 26, you'll realize that it was the supper in the house of Simon the leper. But wait a minute. How do you have a, how do you have a supper in a house of Simon the leper? How, how do you do that? You can't do that. You can't do that because they're unclean. Unless Simon the leper isn't a leper anymore. And that's one of the signs that, of the Messiah. He would be able to do these kind of things. Supper there. Mary was serving, as always, in the kitchen. And and Lazarus was one of them reclining at the table with him. So you just kind of get the picture there. Here's Jesus sitting at this table, reclining at this table, with possibly Simon, the leper, who was not a leper anymore, and also Lazarus, who was once dead and is alive. I mean, that's a dinner party. Mary took a litra, three quarters of a pound of perfume, a very costly, pure and art, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I mean, once that hit, it's, it comes from a root in India. It's powerful stuff. I mean, everybody was probably going, "Woo, boy, that's strong. That's really strong. That's like when Scott Kingston comes in. You got that aftershave that just kind of hits you, you know, before you get here, kind of thing, that's, that kind of thing. Verse four, here's a bad word again, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was going to betray him said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? There's always somebody that has a better idea. And you come up on night, oh, it's not, <laughs> That's Judas Iscariot. Why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii given to the poor? If you do inflation, you are probably talking 50 to $60,000. Okay, so now some of you are going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He, he just, she just poured fifty to sixty thousand dollars on the feet of Jesus, and some of you are going like, ah, not so sure it might be. And in other other gospel accounts, we find out that the the disciples were doing the same. They were nodding along with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds pretty good. Jesus responds or commentary here. Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to take from it what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with me, but do you not? You don't always have me. There's some things to learn here. One of them is, is that they had a money box or a money bag. And in that money bag, people would give to the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. And so apparently what would happen at times is they would come upon the poor. And Jesus would say, give some money out of our money bag to the poor. And so it, it, we will always have the poor with us. So that's, that's, a, that's a commission of ours as Christians that we are to care for the poor. But we also see, what did, what did Judas do? What's that called when you take that money like that? Embezzlement. Embezzlement. Yeah, it's been happening for a long time. I want you to notice something here, too, because this happens through this passage. There's twos. There's twos. He two people or two things, and he puts them side by side like that because he wants you to see them side by side, and he wants you to see, wants you to compare them. So we just got done looking at Mary, who was a giver, and Judas Iscariot, who was a taker. He puts them side by side. Mary, who's a giver, Judas Iscariot, who's a taker. He does that so you would look at that yourself and say, okay, wait, which am I? Am I a giver or am I a taker? He goes on to say, verse 9, then the large crowd from the Jews learned that he was there. Now, this crowd is going to grow. This large crowd from the Jews learned that he was there in Bethany, and they came, not because Jesus only, but that they may also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead but the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. Wait a minute, the guy died once already. What do they want to do? They want to put him to death again because on account of, many, of him, many of the Jews were going away and, here's our phrase, believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus. Verse 12, on the next day, a large crowd who had come forth to the feast. Now this is even a larger crowd. See, because we we got this large crowd that came to Bethany to see Lazarus and Jesus kind of thing. Now we've got a large crowd that came to the feast. And if you've been in Pastor Robert's class going through Luke, you know that during Passover, sometimes it could be up to 2 million people that were in Jerusalem at that time. A large crowd came to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, here we go, they took branches and palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout what well, they shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. That's Psalm 118, 26. And Jesus finding a young donkey sat on it. Now you'll notice that John doesn't give you the whole story of that. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already written on that. He just gives you the cliff notes that, wait a minute, we got Jesus on a donkey, but he drives you to the prophecy in the Old Testament. As it is written, and he's quoting from Zechariah 9, 9, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things now, this is written, kind of like commentary again. It's God's word, but it's it's like Him looking back on this. These things His disciples did not understand at first, but when he, Jesus was glorified, so when He was raised from the dead, then they remembered that these things were written about Him and that they had done these things to Him. So the crowd. Now, this is a different crowd. So the crowd who was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. So that's a specific group of people now. That's the group of people that were at the tomb when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. That's that group that was there. So they're eyewitnesses of that event, raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness about him. So there's a crowd within a crowd. There's a crowd of eyewitnesses who saw the raising of Lazarus from the tomb, that are within the larger crowd. And what are they doing? They're bearing witness of him. They're going throughout the whole crowd. And they're saying, this is Jesus. Yeah, I was there. I was there when he said, you know, Lazarus, come forth. I saw him come out of the tomb. And they unwrapped him. And he was okay. And he was alive and everything. And I was right there when that happened. They're bearing witness about him. For this reason, also, the crowd went and met him. You get a sense the crowd is growing a crowd and another crowd and then this crowd because they heard what he had done, this sign, this miracle, this thing that pointed only God can do these kind of things. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. They're pointing their fingers at each other going, they don't know what to do. They're pointing their fingers at the whole world is going after him. Verse 20. Then there were some Greeks. So here comes some more of the world that's going after him. Some of the Greeks, among those who were going up to worship at the feast, they would have been Gentiles. And if they're worshiping at the feast, they would have been God fearers. So they most likely are proselytes, meaning that they came to, they they transferred over to Judaism to be there to worship the God of the Israelites. These came to Philip. Now Philip's one of the disciples. He's usually number 5. So you got Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip. So he's number usually number 5. So they came to number 5 who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and began asking him, "Sir, we wish to see Jesus." So Philip, number 5, came to and told Andrew, number 4, and Andrew and Philip, so four and 5, came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, "The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified." Now this is different because He's all this time, he said, my hour has not yet come. Back in chapter two, when he's at the wedding and they run out of wine and Jesus' mother comes up to him and and, and he he turns to her and says, what's this have to do with me? My time has, or my hour has not yet come. And then a couple chapters later in chapter seven, he's at another feast and his his brothers are there and his brothers want him to do some, you know, razzmatazz, show them off. And 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 Jesus responds back, my time has not yet come. And then a little bit of commentary in chapter 8, verse 20, um, after he's spoken, it says these words he spoke in the treasury and as he was teaching in the temple and no one seized him. There were many times they tried to seize Jesus. They tried to capture him, grab him. But it says because his hour had not yet come, they couldn't do it because his hour had not yet come. That just tells you who's in charge here. Yeah, he's in charge. God's in charge in this scenario. So he says the hour has come, back to our passage of Scripture, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Uh, A great preacher named Christopher Ash, if you ever get to hear some of his messages, he's a great person to listen to. He talks about the resurrection. Lots of times he'll say it's three things. Three things about the resurrection and rising from the grave is is it's necessary, it's costly, and it's fruitful. It's necessary, it's costly, and it's fruitful. Right here, it's necessary. It's necessary that the grain of wheat falls from that to the ground, and it dies, it's buried, it germinates, and boom, it comes back up again to produce more fruit. That's a necessary thing for it to happen. And so he's, he's pointing to that and saying, that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going I'm to die. I'm going to be buried. But, but from it is going to come fruit. But it's necessary for this to happen. He goes on to say, he who loves his life and loses it, but he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Here's another two, okay? We take that prepositional phrase and move it. He who loves his life in this world. He who loves his life in this world, what's going to happen? He's going to lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Which one are you? Love your life in this world? Or do you hate your life in this world? I know hate is a hard word kind of thing. But but in comparison, there is another world. There is another kingdom that your eyes are upon. Because he says in the next verse, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Boy, there's the real prize. There's where our focus should be. That we would follow him, that we would be a servant of him, and that the father would honor. That's the real prize. It makes me think, and I've said this, trio before lots of times who is a follower of jesus christ the scripture says those who deny themselves deny their very selves so it's not my words it's his words it's not my ways it's his ways it's not my will but it's his will we talk a lot about in our world today about identity oh it's everywhere you deny yourself the identity that you have now my identity is i'm a christian Don't get hung up on male, female, black, white, Hispanic, whatever nationality you want to throw into that. If you you put a focus on that, you will have your focus on the wrong thing. I would love it if they had those forms where you fill out all that stuff and you have to mark all the boxes and everything, and you just write on there, Christian. That's what I am. That my identity is solely for Jesus Christ. Solely for Jesus Christ. You deny your very self. You take up your cross. What happened on the cross? Jesus died on the cross. Jesus made it possible for you to have salvation because it was necessary that he die upon the cross. So you take up your salvation every single day. And what do you do? You follow him. You don't follow your inner self. You don't follow how you feel. You don't follow... But, you know, all that stuff that we get poured at us. No, you keep your focus that who do you follow? You follow Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Verse 27 now. Now my soul has become dismayed. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. There. Now we see the costly part of it. It was necessary. Now it's costly. It's going to cost him his life. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and and, and I have both glorified it, the voice said, and I will glorify it again. Now, this is the third time we've heard a voice from heaven, heard it at his baptism, heard it on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, here's a third time. So the crowd of the people stood by and heard it and were saying, it thundered. Well, it sounded like thunder. It's going to rain. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. So maybe Jesus, you know, looked toward wherever the sound was coming from. Maybe an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. Now judgment is upon this world. Now here comes another two. Judgment has come upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. There's one half of it. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to Him myself. There's two again. Are you in the group that's gonna be cast out? Or are you in the group that is being called Drawn to him. And when he says lifted up from this earth, uh, you will see in the next couple of verses, he means he's going to die on a cross. That's what it meant to be lifted up from this earth because it goes on to say, but he was saying this to indicate what kind of death by which he was about to die. He was saying, I'm going to die on a cross. The crowd also knew it. Verse 34 the crowd answered and said, We have heard from the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how do you say the Son must be? The Son of Man must be lifted up. I mean, how are you saying that, that you're going to die on a cross? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, here comes another two. The light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, here's our phrase, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. How do you become a son of light? you got to believe in him. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid from them. But though he had done so many signs before them, they still were not believing in him. Now, there's three different groups here. This is group number one. They saw the signs. They saw the miraculous signs. They saw the messianic signs that he pointed to him as the Messiah, and they still were not believing in him. This is the unconverted. If you want to go to the parable of the soils, this is the seed that fell on the path. What happened? He got taken away. Why is that happening? How can that even happen? Well, he goes to Isaiah. The word of Isaiah the prophet must be fulfilled. The Lord who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And for this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see their eyes and understand with their heart and return and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw. He saw his glory and he spoke about him. Not everyone is going to be saved. That's group number one is the unconverted. What's going to have to happen? Their eyes are going to have to be opened, just like Isaiah's eyes were open and he saw the glory of God. So that's group number one. Group number two, verse 42. Nevertheless, even the rulers believed in him. Here's our next word, but. That's a terrible combination. Believed in him, but because the Pharisees were not confessing him, so they were not making him Lord of their lives. He was not number one in their life. For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory of man rather than the glory of God. See, Jesus was not number one in their lives. And this group number two, group number one, the unconverted group number two, are the churched or the merely religious, the merely religious. We we follow along this Christian kind of thing as long as it's comfortable, as long as it's going good and everything else. But when there's a little bit of pressure, when there's a little bit of uh, uncomfortableness, what do we do? Eh, yeah, we kind of step back. We kind of fade over here a little bit. Wait for things to kind of settle down, kind of stuff. If you go back to the parable of the soils, what happened to the seed in the shallow soil? What happened to the seed in the thorny soil? You know, ultimately it faded away. It faded away from it. This is group number two of people who are merely religious, just kind of going along as well as as it's going along. But then you get to group number three, verse forty-four. And Jesus cried out and said, "He who believes in me, there we go again, does not believe in me, but in him who sent me." This is group number three, the truly converted. And he who sees me sees the one who sent me. Your eyes have been opened to see just like the thief on the cross, looking across and saying, That man holds my future, the one that's hanging on the center tree. And if he, anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. This is his first coming. He came and was laid in a manger. And he came to save sinners. And we're still in that bracket. We're still in that zone where the word of God is going out. There are some that are not following it, but that word of God is still going out because he has come to save sinners. But then he gives the second part of it in verse 48. He rejects me and does not receive my words Has one who judges him, The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. That means he's coming back. But when he comes back, he doesn't come as a savior. He comes as a judge. He comes as a judge. There's that two again. Verse 49, for I did not speak for myself, but the father himself who sent me has given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And now I know that his commandments is is eternal life. Therefore, things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. That kind of rings a little bit of John 3.16. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You know that, don't you? For God so loved the world. Now, you stop right there because many times we, we might look at that phrase and say, God loved the world so much. That's not what it says. For God so loved the world. The word so there is meaning He's going to tell you how He loved the world. For God so loved the world that so and that go together. This is the way He loved the world. For God so loved the world that this is how He loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him. Now I hope this morning that your definition of believing in him has grown. It's more than just saying a little prayer. It's more than just when times are going great. It's more than just well, the rest of my friends and family are doing that kind of thing, so I'm going to go along and do the same thing. No, believing in him means he is Lord of your life. And it doesn't matter. It does not matter if they kill the body. They cannot kill the soul. It does not matter if 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 I'm gonna be kicked out of the synagogue. No, I I believe he is the Messiah. He is sent from God. He is risen from the grave. That's what it means to believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, we got two again, don't we? <laughs> We got two again, and it makes you compare again. Where am I? Where am I? So I pray this morning as we kind of walk through that, and oh, I'm, I'm looking for the worship team. As we walk through that, um, that you see how important everything is that's going on around Jesus coming into Jerusalem and those palm branches, which are, woo you know, kind of thing. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But but all that was going on around him, of those who were not believing in him, actually wanted to kill him. Those who were saying, hey, you know, it's kind of, let's ride the wave. Let's ride the wave. The wave is going right now. It's a good wave, kind of thing. Let's kind of ride the wave for a while. Or those being that group that says, no, this is tre... This has changed my life forever. And I have only one Lord and Savior, and it's Jesus Christ. And I am going to follow him all the rest of my life. And it doesn't really matter how my life ends, even if it's at the hands of others. My soul is with the Lord. My soul is with the Lord. So I pray that this will help you as you walk through Holy Week this week. And uh, if you can come in, some of those mornings uh, for prayer time. I'm going to continue at 6 o'clock to read through John, uh, just kind of setting the stage for us. But uh, look forward to next Sunday when we, when we rise up and say, He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. There we go. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. Um, Lord, prepare us. Each one of us. Lord, thank you for showing us many times in your scriptures. Three different groups. Those who are unconverted. Who are rejecting you. Those who are just merely religious. But then those who are converted. And even though there's three groups, there's only two options. So I pray, Lord, that eyes would be open. They would see that there is only one Savior and Lord he was sent by you from above to save us of our sins. Give us eternal life. To be a witness, to bear witness like that crowd was within the crowd. To bear witness. Pointing back to Jesus. Jesus is the one who did that.